do we fix historic inequalities that continue to plague people of color, particularly in the corporate world? It is clear that our citizens are no longer comfortable with their traditional approaches to addressing racial inequality. The ones that contain the right language and practices, but are mostly symbolic and ultimately yield slow and often insignificant change. And so this podcast, The Equalizer Project was born through conversations with leaders who can share rich, complex, and powerful experiences of life in corporate America. I hope to bring awareness, to heal, to inspire. It is part of my calling, my personal mission to change lives, to leave others better off. This is the work of the Equalizer Project podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Equalizer Project. I'm Brenda Ross Doolin, your host. Today, I'm incredibly thrilled to have a conversation with my friend, Amira Lawson. Amira is an extraordinary business strategist, multinational podcaster, and a social media expert. She has over a decade of experience working for some of Wall Street's largest financial services firms and a degree in women and gender studies from Rutgers University in New Jersey. She has successfully combined those experiences to become a fearless and dare I say, unapologetic advocate for women and people of color who are navigating entrepreneurship and the corporate world. Amira and I reconnected about a year ago when she interviewed me on her podcast, but you should know that Amira is the owner and the creative behind two incredible podcasts. One called the Black Exposure Podcast, and this is a podcast on closing the wealth gap. And girl, let's talk. A YouTube channel focused on self-love, mental health, and creating health boundaries. She is also founder and managing principal of the Unicorn Consulting LLC, a business consulting and strategy firm for small and mid-sized entities. I'm so grateful to her because it was my interaction with Amira that gave inspiration to this podcast and, dare I say, gave me the courage to move forward with this podcast. So, Amira, thank you so very much for being here with us. Um, I am so excited to share you with our audience. Hi, Amira. Hi, how are you? I am thrilled, thrilled, thrilled to be a part of your podcast. So excited for you to be embarking on this new journey. And I can't believe how life goes full circle. Like here we are. Here we are. Um, If you guys aren't familiar, I first met Brenda back in 2000 and 
I want to say it was 2012 in 2000. Yeah, 2012 when I was at Wells Fargo and she was supposed to be my mentor then. <laughs> and um, unfortunately, to my to, to my own self-sabotaging behavior, now that I think back, I missed out on an amazing mentor because I left Wells Fargo and transitioned to another company. Um, and I did not have the opportunity to take advantage of the wealth, the wealth, the wealth of knowledge that is the, yes, I'm saying the Brenda Ross Doolin. So I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Oh, of course. Well, we, there's a reason why we have reconnected. Yes. <laughs> and you certainly have inspired the work that we're doing. Well, you know, I've, I've taken the time to go through uh, an introduction to give people a little bit of the profile of who you are. I want to step back a moment and have you talk and give a little bit more flavor about who you are, the dynamics of who you are, um, you know, where you live, a little bit about your family. Sure. So... I live in Scotch Plains, New Jersey. I've lived in New Jersey all of my life. I went to school, um, elementary, middle school, and high school in Newark, New Jersey, which if you are familiar with New Jersey at all, you know that that is the, one of the most, at some point, economically deprived um, cities in the state. And, you know, through, you know, where we at now, it's a little bit more gentrified, and, or at least it's having its turning or coming of age, as you would call it. Um, I lived in Newark at a time when it was incredibly dangerous, incredibly violent. Um, it just, it, it would have created the perfect storm for someone to go down a poor path. However, you know, I came from a very strong family. Um, and because of that, and because my mom had the foresight to know where the city was going, she put me into a school called North Star Academy, which is a charter school out in Newark, New Jersey. One of the most acclaimed charter schools in the country, actually. Um, decorated in, in many areas. And that really just sort of uh, shaped the trajectory of my life. It instilled, instilled a sort of self-determination, self-pride, um, giving back to others. We had, they made us actually every single day we had to recite um, somewhat of a, of a mantra every morning at 8 a.m. That was a call and response mantra, like, who are you? And our response would be a star. I shine brightly for others. And then and then they would ask us, so why are you here? I, and I am here not only to get an education, but to give back to others. And I think that that is what has inspired who I, the woman that I am. I am here to learn, but everything that I learn, I must return back to the universe in the form of giving back to others. Um, and if, even if I only help one person, that is what I'm on this earth to do. Um, and that's what that has what has inspired my podcast, Black Exposure Podcast, which is about closing that wealth gap. It is about helping um, people of color find one another because I think sometimes the lack of access is 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 a barrier for us, and that's important to me. Um, and another thing with Girl Let's Talk, which is my YouTube channel, it's it's completely about women um, holding themselves accountable and to into creating healthy boundaries in their relationships with themselves and with their partners. Um, and I live in Scotch Plains now with my husband, my three sons, um, Robert, Ryan, and Rowan, four, nine, and affectionately 20 months. But you can't tell him he's 20 months. You leave it to everybody at the water park, which we're in Mexico right now. They think he was five years old because he has zero concept of fear and he's having the time of his life. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm a boy mom. I, you know, it's a badge of honor. You know, I'm a boy mom, which is, you know, raising black men in, in this country is, is quite the charge. And 
you know, God decided he, not once, not twice, but three times you are a lady <laughs> and, you, and you will put in this work. So that's what I'm doing. And I'm trying to uh, set a positive example to my children about who they are and who they can become in this world um, as, as a woman. You know, it, my husband has his own task of teaching them how to be men. So I want them to be compassionate. I want them to believe in themselves. And I want them to know that um, you can have a partner in your life who is multifaceted and who has her own dreams. Um, and she can she can inspire you to dream as well. So that's who I am. Absolutely. And 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 clearly you have you've taken that that mantra coupled with what I see is a, a fairly unique focus on women and gender studies. So um, I'm not sure I know many people who've actually had that that concentration, but you've taken that concentration, you've taken your mantra, and you've also taken uh 10 years of experience in the financial services world to sort of launch uh, your, your podcast. So talk a little bit about how all those three things have converged for you to identify specifically that there is a gap that needs to be filled. Where do you think that gap comes from uh, and what's the solution to that? Oh my gosh. Oh, that is a loaded question, Brenda. So loaded. Um, I think if I really had to think about my life, um, you know, I think the inspiration from it started from my childhood, which is the school that I went to. That's really inspired it. But I think what's kept that fire brewing and, and growing is um, the fact that God has given me three boys, three black boys. And I, I take that to be um, quite the charge, you know, given the environment we live in in America today, I think. You know, I want my sons, you know, to see that it is possible for you to see all aspects of a black woman, not just what you see on television, right? Which if you are not careful and you're not watching the right programming could lead you, lead you to believe some pretty untrue things. And so to me, I wanted to always be a source of inspiration to my sons about the type of woman they should want to be with when they grow older. And I also wanted to be an inspiration to myself. You know, I think growing up, I, you know, I grew up in an environment where becoming successful wasn't necessarily something to be excited about. You know, it was, you know, you were almost expected to be a teen mom. You were almost expected to, to, to go down a path you didn't need to be on. And so for me, it was, it was living up to my highest potential, but then also being a strong example for my sons. And when I got to Rutgers, which is where I went to, to, to undergraduate, I had many majors to choose from. And I chose women and gender studies because um, you know, I am a woman, you know, my, my husband said, he says to me in a joking way, he's like, are you a feminist? He actually said that to me one day. He's like, I just want to just be sure. Like, you know, <laughs> you, are you a feminist? And I'm like, you know what? I think I am a feminist. I think, you know, I truly, truly, truly believe in, um, you know, the, the, whatever you want to call it, the philosophy that the women are truly the, the, you know, they say the head, the man is the head, the woman is the neck. Mm 
And I believe that it is my responsibility to help navigate the landscape of our family. And I think that that's one of the reasons why I study women gender studies. I wanted to understand how women think, how women can organize, and how women can better better support one another. And I think even though um, a big focus of my studies was not of black women, right? It was it was like Audre Lorde and, and learning about the white feminist movement. I think I was able to lean on that understanding in order to pull from it what I needed to give me the framework, right? The framework to create the landscape that I wanted to create, which is creating a space of, of solace and mm-hmm. of inspiration for my community. Um, as that transitions into corporate America, I've always been this person. I am the person who's going to walk into your organization and I am going to find the little the, the black girl in the corner who doesn't recognize her potential. And I am going to pull her to the side and make her see who she is. And, and I'm going to pull the white woman aside who doesn't recognize her potential. And I'm going to make her see who she is. And I think that that is the thread of connectivity that if you were to ask my coworkers about me, they would all, whether white or black, they would all say the same thing is, you know, Amira really does inspire me. If I could go through my text messages and see how many times I've read that, um, it would be a lot because I do not allow people to shrink so other people can feel tall. And that is important to me. Wow. Wow. So, you you know, so interesting um, that when you start to talk about, um, you know, what women have achieved and, you know, why there may be a gap between where women are, where men are, where people of color are. It sounds like so much of it is driven by just really understanding how women and people of color even see themselves, Mm -hmm. right? So addressing that and how that actually impacts their ability to, to pursue certain paths that either puts them on, on a path of success or wealth versus them sitting in the corner, right? And not fully believing in themselves. So fundamental to perhaps even closing that gap could be addressing the emotional issues, right? That, that stop you from pursuing the kinds of things that you need to pursue. Yeah, mindset is important. And that's one of the things that I I always talk to my coworkers about is shifting, even my friends, is shifting their mindset. Because I think, um, you know, I grew up, you know, I'm not on video, but I grew up with what some people might consider to be a disability, right? I grew up with a, a lazy eye. And I think that as a child being teased, you know, I was teased and bullied constantly as a kid. And I think overcoming that and, 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 and being like, I am a whole person and I don't need to um, feel less than just because I don't look how you look. I think it started with my own self-advocacy and, and being able to be like, look what I have achieved. Right. You would think that somebody who doesn't look like everybody else who already, you know, I already have like the trifecta, right? Like I'm an African-American, I'm a woman, I'm young and I have, you know, a perceived disability, right? I don't consider myself to have a disability, but someone else might, right? Because I am legally blind in one eye. Mm. And so for me to be able to, at such a young age, achieve so much professionally and be able to become a vice president of more than one organization, to break into a six-figure income long before I was 30, you know, to me, I am a walking example 
that you are only bound by the limitations you set for yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, Ralph Waldo Emerson has a very famous quote that says, you are destined to become the person you decide to be. And that's what I teach everybody that I talk to, even in a corporate world. You are destined to become who you decide to be. Decide you will not shrink. Decide that you are going to show up as your whole self. Decide that you are going to partner with, that you are going to be coached by, that you are going to be open to the women or men in your life who want to see you be the best version of yourself. And even when somebody approaches you with a bit of criticism, constructive criticism, do not allow that to deter you, except that maybe perhaps this person is giving you some valuable feedback that can make you a better person and not see it as this person is trying to knock you down. And I think when you have an open mind, Mm -hmm. and that's what I'm all about, having an open mind, um, you can become whoever you want to be. And so to me, it's all about mindset. How does that play itself out um, in your consulting practice, right? Talk a little bit about the businesses that you do help where they would have been, right, without the kind of coaching, perhaps even getting them into the mindset before you even start working with their financials. Um, A little bit about what what that approach is like. Um, what what really is the gap, if you will, mm-hmm. and how do you how do you help them to see what the gap is, and how do you help them close it? Oh my goodness, what a great question! What a great question! So I can give you a real example because I actually just worked with a woman. She's under uh, she's under thirty five, and she runs a phenomenal cleaning business out of New Jersey. And um, she handles six big big lot stores. She handles Ann Taylor, The Gap. Panera Bread, her portfolio is what I would consider to be award-winning. And she is doing, she started it by herself before she was 30 years old. We're the same age. And I got her on a Zoom call and I was helping her do her LinkedIn refresh. I was going to do a strategy consult for her business, but I always like to do the pre-work. And the pre-work is, are you ready for what you are about to become? (laughs) Right. And when I was talking to her, she was speaking about her business so passively as if she was not the poo. I'm like, you are the poo. Like you are young, you are you are the poo. How are you sitting here like, oh, and you know, I help, you know, six kinder care locations and I have 20 uh, public schools in New Jersey. And I'm like, what? Like how, you know, she's like, but I don't have a website. I just don't think I, I'm big enough yet. And I'm like, whoa, 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 abort this mission. Like, before I even consult you this way, I need you to pull back the layers of the onion and figure out what is stopping you from telling everybody who you are and showing up, ready to show out. And so to me, I do like, a, um, I, I give them a, um, I call it an emotional intake sheet. That's what I call it. And so I ask them to um, to figure out what their emotional triggers are and like what is it that somebody can say to you that will make you feel triggered into um, putting yourself into a state of withdrawal. That's what I call it. Meaning you are depleting yourself because you feel unworthy of, of an opportunity. And so to me, it's about tackling that first and doing the emotional labor up front so that they can be in the mindset for us to get to the work. And the work is... You are everything that you think you are, sis. You are everything you think you are. And so so I, I help them figure out their emotional triggers. I help them figure out who in their life is creating deposits versus who in their life are creating withdrawals. 
and I help them to figure out the core values of who they are and who they want their organization to be. And then once I get all of that information, I sit with them, I help them create a, a new mission statement. Mm-hmm. I help them identify where they want their business to go in the next three to five years. We set some targets and then I walk them along a journey of, of getting there. And then we have weekly consultations where we talk and I hold them accountable. I sign homework and I and I, I check the homework and I provide feedback and I red market um, because I think a lot of the time, especially as women, we don't feel worthy. And and you would think this woman was talking about cleaning the local gas station. Like you're talking about Ann Taylor Loft, the right. gas stores. Like you're talking about large commercial clients and you're speaking about it in a way as if you don't even feel like you've, you've accomplished anything. And that's not on her website. It's not on her LinkedIn. And I'm like, you know, there's so many supplier diversity programs that you are missing out on. We have got to get you together. And so to me, <laughs> work begins with changing how you think about yourself. Right, right. Now, tell me a little bit about if you were to talk about um, where she is just in terms of the category of clients that you work with, right? Where, where would you initially say just from a, if you had to quantify where she is relative to where a sort of a non-minority, non-woman business would be at that same stage. What what is that? Mm. What that what is that gap? And in addition to the steps that you're taking, how do how do you know that you're actually closing that gap? I think that that is another great question. I think you know surprisingly, if I were to comp- compare her mindset to the mindset of a non-African-American woman, I would say it's pretty close. You would think that it was vastly different, but it's actually relatively close. I think the only difference is someone who is a non-Black woman usually leads with their accomplishments more upfront and not not doesn't feel as shy about it. And I don't know if that was a personality thing or if that is an actual measurable difference. Um, but I do think it's 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 a woman thing, maybe, because I've, I've done both. And they've both kind of been like, oh, I don't know if I feel comfortable saying it that way. Do you think, you know, or should I, should I say it this way? When I edit what they say about themselves, they're like, I don't know. Like, I'm a little nervous about saying that. And I'm, you know, right. I'm like, don't shrink. Do not shrink. This is what happened. <laughs> um, so I would say it's relatively similar. Uh-huh. Um, I think the biggest difference I've seen has been with um, non, non, not women, right? It's been with white men versus uh, how women show up for themselves. And I think that is a wide gap. Okay. Um, the men are like, boom, 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 shish, boom, boom. Guess who stepped in the room? Right. Like, uh, and usually I'm telling them to simmer down. I'm like, okay, uh-huh. let's, let's, you know, let's make the customer feel like, you know, they can be a part of this too. Um, so I've seen the biggest gap there. I don't. I think that um, a lot of women struggle with the same issues. If I was being truly honest, okay. I just think for Black women, it's more so um, they don't feel as deserving of the opportunity. That to me is the biggest gap that I see. It's the, it's the entitlement aspect that's missing, okay. not necessarily the mindset. Interesting. If you if you were to sit back and think, one experience in the corporate world mm-hmm. that completely influenced your approach to the podcast, your approach to your consulting practice, what would be that situation? 
What um, lesson would you would you then share with us from that, right? That mm-hmm. could influence uh, the thinking of the audience. Yes, I remember being in treasury management. I was a treasury management sales assistant and I was going, I had been tapped. Um, actually, I reached out to a, a business banking market manager down in the Edison market. And I said, I want to learn credit and I will, you know, and I want to become an RM one day, which is a relationship manager. What do I have to do in order to get myself on that path? And I remember him distinctly saying to me, you should post for the role. I would definitely hire you because I I had really been doing a phenomenal job at at what I was doing. And I remember posting for the role and I remember a white woman pulling me to the side and saying to me, this is going to be the biggest mistake you've ever made in your life. You should not go for this opportunity. Um, You're going to hate it. And I mean, it was just so much negative um, conversation. And then there was a Hispanic woman. Her name is Maria Milanis because I'm going to give her her flowers while she can still smell them. And she pulled me to the side and said, you need to create a 30, 60, 90 day plan for what you are going to do when you get into this role. And I remember taking her advice. She reviewed my plan. This woman had no vested interest in me getting promoted. I did not report to her. I did not work with her on a daily basis. She was just someone who worked in my unit, but from a for a totally different line of business. Mm-hmm. But she identified that I was somebody who was meant to be somebody. Mm-hmm. And I think the lesson I got from her is allow people to see you. And so she said to me, Amir, you're not ready. You have to prove, you have to prove who you are because they are not going to believe you. She didn't say that, but that's what she implied. Prove it because they won't believe you. And I'll never forget me doing my 30, 60, 90 day plan, giving it to her to review, her giving me feedback, me being open. And that's what I talked about earlier in our podcast. Be open to constructive criticism and don't always believe that somebody doesn't want to see you win. Because I could have blew her off. Like, I didn't know her. We were not friends. She just came out of nowhere like Jesus, you know? <laughs> and um, she uh, she helped me with my, with my action plan. And I blew that interview away. And it doubled my salary. It doubled my salary. Almost unheard of in corporate America for you to double your salary with one promotion. And it was because I put in the work up front. And so to me, the lessons from that is, I don't live my life through negativity and naysayers. I live my life through facts and figures. So instead of feeding into negativity and naysayers, I fed into facts and figures, which was this woman who was trying to give me some facts about what it was and some figures on how I needed to figure it out and get it done. And because I took that advice, it transformed the trajectory of my life. And, And I was able to amass a level of wealth that I probably would have not seen for 10 years had I had I dismissed what she was trying to help me with. Wow. Wow. So one person discouraged you from going because they didn't believe that you could. Yeah. The other person said, I know you can. You just need to prove that you can. Yes. Yes. And it was that one difference. It was that one difference that changed everything for me. Wow. And one was a white woman and one was a Hispanic woman. And that's not to say one thing or the other. That's just to say the facts. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, yeah, that was actually going to be one of my questions was, did you think that there was, you know, because you did, you know, you identified what each of their races were. Was there anything about who they were that led them to either believe or not believe in you? 
Um, I think, you know what, when I, if I take a step back, because I ended up developing somewhat of a relationship with the woman who helped me, um, not as close, um, because honestly, she truly appeared like a Pharaoh, a disciple from the Lord. I don't, you know, we were not friends. I mean, she did not have to help me. But when we, you know, after that, I ended up getting a role. We did go to lunch a few times. And I think she had experienced the same things in her career where people had discouraged her from pursuing different opportunities. She had been held back a lot in her career. She opened up to me. Um, she had not been supported at, at points through her career. And she did not want to see that happen to another person. And and she was brilliant. This woman was brilliant. And and she she gave me a piece of that. And I think... You know, when, when doors are open for you easily, you don't feel as obligated, I would say, mm -hmm. to hold the door open for others. But when you had to bust a door down, kick a door open, you once you get it down, you're like, now, listen, you better run on through because I don't know how long I'm going to be able to hold this door open for you. And so I think that was the difference. It was it, to me that I think that's the difference. Wow. Wow. Whoa. So, so, uh, so I, I will tell you there, there are two things that really inspire me or two ways in which I'm inspired. One is by music. Uh, and one is about is by um, inspirational quotes. Yes. So if I were to ask you to give me a quote that either summarizes today's interview or your philosophy on, um, on the space that you operate in, or something that inspires you that you want to share with others, what would that quote be? So I'm going to give you one music and one quote because I, you know me, I like, to, I'm the two question person. So now I'm going to give you two answers. <laughs> okay. My first quote is, in God we trust and all others show me the data. So and that's <laughs> one of my favorite quotes. I actually got that quote from Senator Cory Booker at an event once. And he got up there and said that. And I was like, this is, I'm going to get this tattooed. This is beautiful. <laughs> because I do think that, um, because as a black woman, I think that there are all these preconceived notions when you go into corporate spaces about attitude, about aggression, about arrogance, about she's difficult. She's this, she's that. And I'm always like, please do not listen to that stuff when it comes to people of color, black women, black men, do not listen to that stuff. Look at the data. Is this person a top performer? Is this person a good person? Is it, does this person come from a place of kindness? Because mm -hmm. that is the stuff you can rely on. Do not let uh, people who, um, you know, I have a whole theory on alliance bias, which I'm not going to get into. But mm -hmm. do not let alliance bias, for, before we get into that, alliance bias allow you to create a perception of a black woman without focusing on the facts of what's in front of you. Just focus on the facts and give, give them the benefit of the doubt because there are so many different uphill battles that we are fighting. So um, that's my quote and God, we trust all other show me data. <laughs> I, I, I've never heard that. And I and love I literally that. literally made it up. Alliance bias is a term that I made up because I do think people talk about, uh, microaggressions, they talk about discrimination, overt and subversive, but nobody talks about what I think to be the biggest threat to corporate mobility for people of color, which is alliance bias, which is these people, whoever these people may be, and it doesn't have to be race, right? People can align themselves based on socioeconomic status. They can uh -huh. align themselves based on um, shared experience. Uh -huh. and, and even, you know, black people and people of color can be, can be, um, assailants of alliance bias as well. This is not like a white black thing. 
And it's basically when you align yourself to someone in an organization, in a pack, be based on shared experiences. And you use those shared experiences to, um, to keep people outside of that alliance and to not let them participate. So if you think about it more practically, let's say people who, pay, who play golf, right? That can be a form of alliance bias where if you play golf, you are invited to certain events, you can go participate in certain activities, and those who do not play golf are not a part of that alliance. And therefore, they are pushed out of certain opportunities and certain conversations that are happening on hole eight or hole nine. So I think that people have to be conscious and cognizant of alliance biases and how they manifest themselves in corporate structures um, because it doesn't just have to always be race class or, or color. It can be other things. Um, that's one thing. So that's my quote, focus on the data. Oh, so that is so powerful. I've not heard that before. So thank you for that. And if I have to use it again, I will make sure I give you credit for it. <laughs> but, Feel free because it happens. Brenda, I know you've known, you've seen it happen before. <laughs> but I've never, I've never, I've never seen it named right? Yeah. I've seen it ab absolutely labeled. And what's interesting, and then I'll let you get to your song, uh, but I'm fascinated by just that label. So then what, what strategy, what strategy do you recommend, right? If you are either part of an alliance that is being biased against someone else, or you've been excluded because you're not part of that, um, of that group. You know what? Um, that is a tough question because I think it's something that I've, I've struggled with um, professionally is, mm -hmm. is alliance bias. Um, I think when hmm, when I am, I am a very, I try to be a very inclusive person. So if I am a part of an alliance, I always try to invite others to participate. So I'm always going to be the girl in the office with friends of, you know, if, if even in my own personal life. I do not, I don't have very many friends who are my own age, which is odd, right? You would think a 34-year-old woman would be friends with 34-year-old people. You no, know, some of my best friends are in their 50s and 60s because mm -hmm. I, I like to learn from different people's experiences because I have been the victim of alliance bias so much mm -hmm. that I never want to be, um, I, I want to be cognizant and aware of, of triggers, right? I don't want to ever be triggered to that. So I make conscious efforts to avoid it at all costs. Now, when I have been the victim of it, I try to call it out. I'm not shy. I'm not shy. I will literally say to somebody, um, so you weren't going to invite me to golf? Like, think I'm gonna hold up the caddy? Like, what? Well, you know, what is it here? <laughs> you know, I feel like, I feel like you have to call people out on their stuff because if you don't call them out, sometimes people do it not to be malicious. They do it because they don't know any better. And you won't be able to figure out whether it's malicious or if it's just willful ignorance unless you advocate for yourself. And so I'll call people out. I'll be like, listen, I ain't gonna slow up the caddy. Just go, you know, let me, let me participate. <laughs> you know, I wanna come. You know, I call it out. I'm I'm not shy. I'm like, listen, you either gonna like me, love me, or not. So it is what it is. <laughs> you know, I, I appreciate you taking time because I, I was definitely fascinated by that uh, <laughs> term. And uh so I it, it it's it's interesting. We're aware of it, but I'm not sure anybody's ever really put a name to it. And I think there's power in naming situations mm -hmm. because then you can intentionally um, address it, you know, bring solutions, right. And, and somehow bring some inspiration. 
and hope yeah. to others. So, all right, your song, my dear. <laughs> my song, my very favorite, is a song by Natasha Bedingfield. It's called Unwritten. Um, and the song is about it. I'll give you a, a, a line from it is fill the rain on your skin. No one else can fill it for you. Only you can let it in. No one else, no one else can speak the words on your lips. Um, and it, it's all about being yourself and about feeling alive and living in your truth and in your purpose and not allowing the outside world to shape who you become. Because being you, and, and I hate to reference Dr. Seuss because that's a whole nother rabbit hole we can go down about racism. So hang on. But Dr. Seuss does have a very famous book, which I love. Don't tell nobody. But I love it. It's called um, Only You Can Be You. No one can be more youer than you. And that's what Natasha Bedingfield is getting at in that song. Wow. Be yourself because nobody can be more you than you. And that is my very favorite song. I scream it, actually. Whenever I'm on a highway, you will. If you hear somebody playing Natasha Bedingfield, it is me. And the windows <laughs> are down. And as loud as it can be. And I'm screaming the song because it's my very favorite. Wow. Well, you know that that's that's my next move, right? Is to then get off of this interview and then go listen to Natasha. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been an absolute joy. Uh, first of all, I was just excited that you um, could make time to talk to us. I am firmly aware that you are clearly aware that you are with your family in Mexico on vacation and that you've decided to, to join us. So we're very excited. Uh, is there anything you want to share as you go out to the pool or to the beach? You know, I am just hoping to, to leave here. I feel like this conversation has given me a wonderful opportunity to yet again be seen. I, and I want to thank you so much for giving me your time and your space. This is your space and you allowed me in. Um, and I think most people in this world just want to be seen, heard, and understood. So I want to thank you for for being a part of my story. Um, you know, you, you never know where the world's going to take you. And I'm so, so, so thankful that our paths crossed again because it's. I think it's because it's meant to be until last a lifetime. So I'm very grateful. Oh, thank you. Well, it's, it's such a pleasure. Thank you again for joining us today. We would love to share additional tools and strategies that can help you make the best decisions for your career or to build a dynamic and forward-thinking environment. Please visit the services page on our website, therossdoolinggroup.com.